section five of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three bobadil i pray you possess no gallant of your acquaintance with a knowledge of my lodging master matthew who i sir lord sir ben jonson the next morning found nigel oliphant the young lord of glenvarlock seated sad and solitary in his little apartment in the mansion of john christie the ship chandler which that honest tradesman in gratitude perhaps to the profession from which he derived his chief support appeared to have constructed as nearly as possible upon the plan of a ship's cabin it was situated near to paul's wharf at the end of one of those intricate and narrow lanes which until that part of the city was swept away by the great fire in sixteen sixty six constituted an extraordinary labyrinth of small dark damp and unwholesome streets and alleys in one corner or other of which the plague was then as surely found lurking as in the obscure corners of constantinople in our own time but john christie's house looked out upon the river and had the advantage therefore of free air impregnated however with the odoriferous fumes of the articles in which the ship chandler dealt with the odour of pitch and the natural scent of the ooze and sludge left by the reflux of the tide upon the whole except that his dwelling did not float with the flood-tide and become stranded with the ebb the young lord was nearly as comfortably accommodated as he was while on board the little trading-brig from the long town of kirkaldy in fife by which he had come a passenger to london he received however every attention which could be paid him by his honest landlord john christie for richie manipolis had not thought it necessary to preserve his master's incognito so completely but that the honest ship chandler could form a guess that his guest's quality was superior to his appearance as for dame nelly his wife a round buxom laughter-loving dame with black eyes a tight well-laced bodice a green apron and a red petticoat edged with a slight silver lace and judiciously shortened so as to show that a short heel and a tight clean ankle rested upon her well-burnished shoe she of course felt interest in a young man who besides being very handsome good-humoured and easily satisfied with the accommodations her house afforded was evidently of a rank as well as manners highly superior to the skippers or captains as they call themselves of merchant vessels who were the usual tenants of the apartments which she let to hire and at whose departure she was sure to find her well-scrubbed floor soiled with the relics of tobacco which spite of king james's counterblast was then forcing itself into use and her best curtains impregnated with the odour of geneva and strong waters to dame nelly's great indignation for as she truly said the smell of the shop and warehouse was bad enough without these additions but all mr oliphant's habits were regular and cleanly and his address though frank and simple showed so much of the courtier and gentleman as formed a strong contrast with the loud halloo coarse jests and boisterous impatience of her maritime inmates dame nelly saw that her guest was melancholy also notwithstanding his efforts to seem contented and cheerful and in short she took that sort of interest in him without being herself aware of the extent which an unscrupulous gallant might have been tempted to improve to the prejudice of honest john who was at least a score of years older than his helpmate 
oliphant however had not only other matters to think of but would have regarded such an intrigue had the idea ever occurred to him as an abominable and ungrateful encroachment upon the laws of hospitality his religion having been by his late father formed upon the strict principles of the national faith and his morality upon those of the nicest honour he had not escaped the predominant weakness of his country an overweening sense of the pride of birth and a disposition to value the worth and consequence of others according to the number and the fame of their deceased ancestors but this pride of family was well subdued and in general almost entirely concealed by his good sense and general courtesy such as we have described him nigel oliphant or rather the young lord glenvarlock was when our narrative takes him up under great perplexity respecting the fate of his trusty and only follower richard manipleys who had been dispatched by his young master early the preceding morning as far as the court at westminster but had not yet returned his evening adventures the reader is already acquainted with and so far knows more of ritchie than did his master who had not heard of him for twenty-four hours dame nelly christie in the meantime regarded her guest with some anxiety and a great desire to comfort him if possible she placed on the breakfast-table a noble piece of cold powdered beef with its usual guards of turnip and carrot recommended her mustard as coming direct from a cousin at tewkesbury and spiced the toast with her own hands and with her own hands also drew a jug of stout and nappy ale all of which were elements of the substantial breakfast of the period when she saw that her guest's anxiety prevented him from doing justice to the good cheer which she set before him she commenced her career of verbal consolation with the usual volubility of those women in her station who conscious of good looks good intentions and good lungs entertain no fear either of wearying themselves or of fatiguing their auditors now what the good year are we to send you down to scotland as thin as you came up i am sure it would be contrary to the course of nature there was my good man's father old sandy christie i've heard he was an atomy when he came up from the north and i am sure he died saint barnaby was ten years at twenty stone weight i was a bareheaded girl at the time and lived in the neighbourhood though i had little thought of marrying john then who had a score of years the better of me but he is a thriving man and a kind husband and his father as i was saying died as fat as a church warden well sir but i hope i have not offended you for my little joke and i hope the ale is to your honour's liking and the beef and the mustard all excellent all too good answered oliphant you have everything so clean and tidy dame that i shall not know how to live when i go back to my own country if ever i go back there this was added as it seemed involuntarily and with a deep sigh i warrant your honour go back again if you like it said the dame unless you think rather of taking a pretty well-dowered english lady as some of your country folk have done i assure you some of the best of the city have married scotsmen there was lady Plum, sir thomas Plum, the great turkey merchant's widow married sir Ollie macaulay whom your honour knows doubtless and pretty mistress double fee old sergeant double fee's daughter jumped out of the window and was married at mayfair to a scotsman with a hard name and old pitch post the timber merchant's daughters did little better 
for they married two irishmen and when folks jeer me about having a scotsman for a lodger meaning your honour i tell them they are afraid of their daughters and their mistresses and sure i have a right to stand up for the scots since john christie is half a scotsman and a thriving man and a good husband though there is a score of years between us and so i would have your honour cast care away and mend your breakfast with a morsel and a draught at a word my kind hostess i cannot said oliphant i am anxious about this knave of mine who has been so long absent in this dangerous town of yours it may be noticed in passing that dame nelly's ordinary mode of consolation was to disprove the existence of any cause for distress and she is said to have carried this so far as to comfort a neighbour who had lost her husband with the assurance that the dear defunct would be better to-morrow which perhaps might not have proved an appropriate even if it had been a possible mode of relief on this occasion she denied stoutly that ritchie had been absent altogether twenty hours and as for people being killed in the streets of london to be sure two men had been found in tower ditch last week but that was far to the east and the other poor man that had his throat cut in the fields had met his mishap near by islington and he that was stabbed by the young templar in a drunken frolic by st clements in the strand was an irishman all which evidence she produced to show that none of these casualties had occurred in a case exactly parallel with that of ritchie a scotsman and on his return from westminster my better comfort is my good dame answered oliphant that the lad is no brawler or quarreller unless strongly urged and that he has nothing valuable about him to any one but me your honour speaks very well retorted the inexhaustible hostess who protracted her task of taking away and putting to rights in order that she might prolong her gossip alapo master of manipolis to be neither reveller nor brawler for if he liked such things he might be visiting and junketing with the young folks about here in the neighbourhood and he never dreams of it and when i asked the young man to go as far as my gossips dame drinkwater to taste a glass of aniseed and a bit of the groaning cheese for dame drinkwater has had twins as i told your honour sir and i meant it quite civilly to the young man but he chose to sit and keep house with john christie i dare say there is a score of years between them for your honour's servant looks scarce much older than i am i wonder what they could have to say to each other i asked john christie but he bid me go to sleep if he comes not soon said his master i will thank you to tell me what magistrate i can address myself to for besides my anxiety for the poor fellow's safety he has papers of importance about him oh your honour may be assured he will be back in a quarter of an hour said dame nelly he is not the lad to stay out twenty-four hours at a stretch and for the papers i am sure your honour will pardon him for just giving me a peep at the corner as i was giving him a small cup not so large as my thimble of distilled waters to fortify his stomach against the damps and it was directed to the king's most excellent majesty and so doubtless his majesty has kept ritchie out of civility to consider of your honour's letter and send back a fitting reply dame nelly here hit by chance on a more available topic of consolation than those she had hitherto touched upon for the youthful lord had himself some vague hopes that his messenger might have been delayed at court until a fitting and favourable answer should be dispatched back to him inexperienced however in public affairs as he certainly was 
it required only a moment's consideration to convince him of the improbability of an expectation so contrary to all he had heard of etiquette as well as the dilatory proceedings in a court suit and he answered the good-natured hostess with a sigh that he doubted whether the king would even look on the paper addressed to him far less take it into his immediate consideration now out upon you for a faint-hearted gentleman said the good dame and why should he not do as much for us as our gracious queen elizabeth many people say this and that about a queen and a king but i think a king comes more natural to us english folks and this good gentleman goes as often down by water to greenwich and employs as many of the bargemen and watermen of all kinds and maintains in his royal grace john taylor the water poet who keeps both a sculler and a pair of oars and he has made a comely court at whitehall just by the river and since the king is so good a friend to the thames i cannot see if it please your honour why all his subjects and your honour in specialty should not have satisfaction by his hands true dame true let us hope for the best but i must take my cloak and rapier and pray your husband in courtesy to teach me the way to a magistrate sure sir said the prompt dame i can do that as well as he who has been a slow man of his tongue all his life though i will give him his due for being a loving husband and a man as well to pass in the world as any betwixt us and the top of the lane and so there is the sitting alderman that is always at the guild hall which is close by paul's and so i warrant you he puts all to rights in the city that wisdom can mend and for the rest there is no help but patience but i wish i were as sure of forty pounds as i am that the young man will come back safe and sound oliphant in great and anxious doubt of what the good dame so strongly averred flung his cloak on one shoulder and was about to belt on his rapier when first the voice of richie manipolis on the stair and then that faithful emissary's appearance in the chamber put the matter beyond question dame nelly after congratulating manipolis on his return and paying several compliments to her own sagacity for having foretold it was at length pleased to leave the apartment the truth was that besides some instinctive feelings of good breeding which combated her curiosity she saw there was no chance of richie's proceeding in his narrative while she was in the room and she therefore retreated trusting that her own address would get the secret out of one or other of the young men when she should have either by himself now in heaven's name what is the matter said nigel oliphant where have you been or what have you been about you look as pale as death there is blood on your hand and your clothes are torn what barns breaking have you been at you have been drunk richard and fighting fighting i have been said richard in a small way but for being drunk that's a job ill to manage in this town without money to come by liquor and as for barns breaking the deal a thing's broken but my head it's not made of iron i wot nor my clays of chenzy mail so a club smashed the tame and a clot damaged the tither some mislead rascals abused my country but i think i cleared the causey of them however the hail hive was o'er money for me at last and i got this eclipse on the crown and then i was carried beyond my kenning to a small booth at the temple port whar they sell the whirly gigs and mony go-rounds that measure out time as a man wad measure a tartan web and then they bled me wold i nold i and were reasonably civil especially 
an old countryman of ours of whom more hereafter at what o'clock might this be said nigel the twey iron carles yonder at the kirk beside the port were just banging out sacks for the clock and why came you not home as soon as you recovered said nigel in troth my lord every why has its wherefore and this has a good them answered his follower to come hame i behoved to ken where hame was now i clean tint the name of the wind and the mare i asked the mare the folk loof and the farther they sent me rang say i gave it up till god should send daylight to help me and as i saw my cell near a kirk at the lang run i e'en crap in to take up my night's quarters in the kirkyard in the churchyard said nigel but i need not ask what drove you to such a pinch it was na say much the want to siller my lord nigel said ritchie with an air of mysterious importance for i was no say absolute without means of wilk mare anon but i thought i wad never wear a sax bent sterling on ane of their saucy chamberlains at a hostelry say long as i could sleep fresh and fine in a fair dry spring night mony a time when i hae come hame hour late and fond the west port deacon and the waiter illy willy i have guard the sexton of st cuthbert's calf word serve me for my quarters but then there are dainty green grafts in st cuthbert's kirkyard where ane may sleep as if they were in a down bed till they hear the laugh-rock singing up in the air as high as the castle whereas and behold these london kirkyards are causied with through stains panged hard and fast thegither and my cloak being something threadbare made but a thin mattress so i was fain to give up my bed before every limb about me was crippled dead folks may sleep yonder soundy now but deal hate else and what became of you next said his master i just took to a canny bookhead as they can them the here that is the boards on the top of their bits of outshots of stalls and booths and there i sleep it as sound as if i was in a castle not but i was disturbed with some of the night-walking queens and swaggering billies but when they found there was nothing to be got by me but a slash of my andrew ferrara they bid me good-night for a beggarly scot and i was even weel pleased to be say cheap rid of them in the morning i cam dacoring here but sad wark i had to find the way for i had been east as far as the place they ca mile end though it is mare like sax mile end well ritchie answered nigel i'm glad all this has ended so well go get something to eat i'm sure you need it in troth do i sir replied manipoles but with your lordship's leave forget the lordship for the present ritchie as i have often told you before faith replied ritchie i could weel forget that your honour was a lord but then i behoove to forget that i am a lord's man and that's not so easy but however he added assisting his description with the thumb and the two forefingers of his right hand thrust out after the fashion of a bird's claw while the little finger and ring finger were closed upon the palm to the court i went and my friend that promised me a sight of his majesty's most gracious presence was as good as his word and carried me into the back offices where i got the best breakfast i have had since we came here and it did me good for the rest of the day for as to what i've eaten in this accursed town it is i sauced with the disquieting thought that it maun be paid for after ah there was but beef banes and fat broasts but king's cough your honour kens is better than either folk's corn at any rate it was a fin free almus but i see he added stopping short that your honour waxes impatient by no means richie said the young nobleman with an air of resignation 
for he well knew his domestic would not mend his pace for goading you have suffered enough in the embassy to have a right to tell the story in your own way only let me pray for the name of the friend who was to introduce you into the king's presence you were very mysterious on the subject when you undertook through his means to have the supplication put into his majesty's own hands since those sent heretofore have every reason to think went no farther than his secretaries weel my lord said rich i did not tell you his name and quality at first because i thought you would be affronted at the like of him having to do in your lordship's affairs but mony a man climbs up in court by wire help it was just lorry link later one of the yeomen of the kitchen that was my father's apprentice lang syne a yeoman in the kitchen a scullion exclaimed lord nigel pacing the room in displeasure but consider sir said ritchie composedly that ah your great friends hung back and shunned to own you or to advocate your petition and then though i am sure i wish lorry a higher office for your lordship's sake and for mine and specially for his ain sake being a friendly lad yet your lordship must consider that a scullion if a yeoman of the king's most royal kitchen may be a, called a scullion may wheel rank with a master cook elsewhere being that king's cough as i said before is better than you are right and i was wrong said the young nobleman i have no choice of means of making my case known so that they be honest lorry is as honest a lad as ever lifted a ladle said richie not but what i dare to say he can lick his fingers like other folk in reason good but in fine for i see your honour's waxing impatient he brought me to the palace where ah was a stir for the king going out to hunt or hawk on blackheath i think they cat it and there was a horse stood with all the quarries about it a bonny grey as ever was folded the saddle and the stirrups and the curb and bit a burning gowd or silver gilded at least and down sir came the king with all his nobles dressed out in his hunting suit of green doubly laced and laid down with gowd i minded the very face of him though it was lang since i saw him but my sturdy lad thought i times are changed since ye came fling down the back stairs of old holy rood house and grit fear having your greeks in your hand without time to put them on and frank stuart with the wild earl of bothwell hard at your haunches and if auld lord glenvarlock hadna cast his mantle about his arm and taken bloody wounds mare than ain in your behalf you wad not have crawled say crouse this day and so saying i could not but think your lordship's sifflication could not be less than most acceptable and so i banged in among the crowd of lords lorry felt me mad and held me by the cloak lap till the cloth raved in his hand and so i banged in right before the king just as he mounted and crammed the sifflication into his hand and he opened it like in amaze and just as he saw the first line i was minded to make a reverence and i had the ill luck to hit his jaw oh a beast on the nose with my hat and scour the creature and she swarved aside in the king that sits nae mickle better than a draught pock on the saddle was like to have gotten a clean coop and that might have cost my craig a raxing and he flung down the paper amang the beast's feet and cried away with the foul sloon that brought it and they grippit me and cried treason and i thought of the ruthens that they were dirked in their ain house for it may be as small a forfeit however they spack only of scourging me and had me away to the porter's lodge to try the taws on my back and i was crying mercy as loud as i could and the king when he had righted himself on the saddle and gathered his breath cried to do me no nay harm said he he is one of our ain norland stots i ken by the rout of him and they laughed and routed loud enough and then he said give him a copy of the proclamation and let him go down to the north by the next light 
collier before war come ut so they let me go and rode out a sniggering laughing and rounding in ilk ither's lugs a sair life i had wi' laurie link later for he said it wad be the ruin of him and then when i told him it was in your matter he said if he had known before he would have risked a scalding for you because he minded the brave old lord your father and then he showed how i should have done and that i should have held up my hand to my brow as if the grandeur of the king and his horse graith thegither had cast on the glaikes and my een and mare jackanape tricks i should hae played instead of offering the supplication he said as if i've been bringing guts to a bear i'm certain this prudential advice is not original on mr linklater's part but i'm not at present able to produce in my authority i think it amounted to this that james flung down a petition presented by some supplicant who paid no compliments to his horse and expressed no admiration of the splendour of his furniture saying shall a king cumber himself about the petition of a beggar while the beggar disregards the king's splendour it is i think sir john harrington who recommends as a sure mode to the king's favour to praise the paces of a royal palfrey for said he richie the king is a weal natured and just man of his ain kindly nature but he has a wean maggots that maun be cannily guided and then richie says he in a very left tone i would tell it to nain but a wise man like yourself but the king has them about him wad corrupt an angel from heaven but i could have gien you a wise man how to have guided him but now it's like after meat mustard a wheel a wheel laurie said i it may be as you say but since i am clear of the taws and the porter's lodge supplicate wa like the ill hay richie manipulis and he come supplicating here again and so away i came and i wasna far by the temple port or bar or whatever they cut when i met with the misadventure that i told you of before well my honest richie said lord nigel your attempt was well meant and not so ill-conducted i think as to have deserved so bad an issue but go to your beef and mustard and we'll talk of the rest afterwards there is nay mare to be spoken sir said his follower except that i met ain very honest fair-spoken wheel put on gentleman or rather burger as i think that was in the wig mallory man's back shop and when he learned way i was behold he was kindly scot himself and what is more a town's baron of the good town and he behooved to compel me to take this portugal piece to drink forsooth my surdy thought i we can better for we will eat it and he spoke of paying your lordship a visit you did not tell him where i lived you knave said the lord nigel angrily sdeath i shall have every clownish burger from edinburgh come to gaze on my distress and pay a shilling for having seen the motion of the poor noble tell him where you lived said richie evading the question how could i tell him what i kenna myself if i had minded the name of the wind i need not have slept in the kirkyard yestreen see then that you give no notice of our lodging said the young nobleman those with whom i have business i can meet at st paul's or in the court at requests this is sticking the stable door when the steed is stolen thought richie to himself but i must put him on another pin so thinking he asked the young lord what was in the proclamation which he still held folded in his hand for having little time to spell at it said he your lordship well knows i can naught about it but the grand blazon at the tap the lion has gotten a cloth of our old scottish shield now but it was as weel of help when it had a unicorn on ilk side of it lord nigel read the proclamation and he coloured deep with shame and indignation as he read for the purport was to his injured feelings like the pouring of ardent spirits upon a recent wound what deals in the paper my lord said richie unable to suppress his curiosity as he observed his master change colour i wadna ask such a thing only the proclamation is not a private thing but is meant for a men's hearing 
it is indeed meant for all men's hearing replied lord nigel and it proclaims the shame of our country and the ingratitude of our prince now the lord preserve us and to publish it in london too ejaculated Manipoles. hark ye richard said nigel oliphant in this paper the lords of the council set forth that in consideration of the resort of idle persons of low condition forth from his majesty's kingdom of scotland to his english court filling the same with their suits and supplications and dishonouring the royal presence with their base poor and beggarly persons to the disgrace of their country in the estimation of the english these are to prohibit the skippers masters of vessels and others in every part of scotland from bringing such miserable creatures up to court under pain of fine and imprisonment i marvel the skipper took us on board said ritchie then you need not marvel how you are to get back again said lord nigel for here is a clause which says that such idle suitors are to be transported back to scotland at his majesty's expense and punished for their audacity with stripes stocking or incarceration according to their demerits that is to say i suppose according to the degree of their poverty for i see no other demerit specified this will scarcely said ritchie square with our old proverb a king's face should give grace but what says the paper farther my lord oh only a small clause which especially concerns us making some still heavier denunciations against those suitors who shall be so bold as to approach the court under pretext of seeking payment of old debts due to them by the king which the paper states is of all species of importunity that which is most odious to his majesty the king has neighbours in that matter said ritchie but it is not every one that can shift off that sort of cattle so easily as he does their conversation was here interrupted by a knocking at the door oliphant looked out at the window and saw an elderly respectable person whom he knew not ritchie also peeped and recognised but recognising chose not to acknowledge his friend of the preceding evening afraid that his share in the visit might be detected he made his escape out of the apartment under pretext of going to his breakfast and left their landlady the task of ushering master george into lord nigel's apartment which he performed with much courtesy End of chapter three